0: Uh, recently, we have kind of come through an election cycle. Uh, this was probably one of the craziest election cycles we have seen in recent days. Uh, we saw politicians have all sorts of caricatures of, of their opponents. Uh, you know, politicians make all sorts of promises of fairness, and yet usually what we see is favoritism. Uh, we, we believe that politicians should strive for fairness. Uh, during uh, Abraham Lincoln's political career uh, he was advised by a criminal lawyer Leonard Sweat uh, sweat was recently had been uh, re- referred to as Lincoln's forgotten friend in a letter dated May 30th 1860 Lincoln wrote to his friend and political advisor saying it cannot have failed to strike you that these men asked for just the same thing fairness and fairness only this is so far as in my power they and all others shall have according to to lincoln his political and presidential obligation was to strive to give fairness to all now of course lincoln did not do this perfectly because no man can exercise perfect fairness fairness is a desirable characteristic of all those who hold positions of influence and one that will constantly be challenged by those who sit under their influence those who, who are leaders want to be fair, and yet that, that fairness will always be challenged by those who are being governed by that leadership. I saw this firsthand when I ran the group home uh, for teen moms. Uh, every week, maybe every day, some seasons, I would hear, Mr. Dave, that's not fair. I learned quite often that my, whether it be my house moms or my, uh, the ladies, they never thought I was being fair. In their eyes, I was not um, one who was just. But is fairness objective? Or is it subjective? How do we respond when we see something that, that does not appear to be fair when we are employees or, or fairness our leaders? What about God? Is God always Fair. And how should we respond when we think that God is not being fair? And maybe that's not for you, but maybe those in your life have asked you that question and challenged you that God is not fair. Through this little prophecy of Habakkuk, we are going to ask that question, is God fair? We really know nothing about Habakkuk outside of his name. In verse 1, you see the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. He's called a prophet again, again in chapter 3, verse 1. So this little book, we see how God's prophet responded when he believed that God was not fair. So if you've ever thought, God, you're not being fair. Why are you doing this? Well, you are not alone. The first question I want to ask, is God fair to pass over sin? Is God fair to pass over sin? This book begins with of questioning God for not listening to him or hearing his prayers. He sees the, the, the sins and the wickedness of his own people going unpunished. So it begins in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk looked out and he saw violence, he saw destruction towards God, people among God's people, and it appeared that the Lord was doing nothing about it. He said he cried for help and the Lord did not answer. He believed that the Lord was passing over sin, and therefore God was being unfair. Have you ever felt that God was being unfair when he allowed success to those who were committing serious sins? Why is God allowing the wicked to prosper? Or maybe you believe that God was being unfair because he was not answering your prayers, prayers that were, that were right and true according to his word, and yet you do not see the answer. Or maybe you've been praying for years for a wayward child, or for, for uh, to, to overcome a particular sin in your life, and yet you've seen no no change. Maybe you prayed for a job and have been left unanswered, or all you have gotten was silence as you face cancer. It's a natural human response to question fairness. It's a common question to those struggling for for the Christian faith: Why does God allow so much suffering in the world? If you want to be engaged in evangelism in our culture, you're going to get, get confronted with that question. People look around, they see the wicked prospering in a sheer amount of evil, and it causes them to question God's goodness. How would you engage with people with the question God's fairness? Well, what Habakkuk did, he went right to the Lord. Beloved, God can handle your questions. God can handle the, the deep complaints or uh, questions of your heart. And we have to remember that God may give us answers that may be difficult to handle. So God responds to Habakkuk's complaint in verse 5. Look at God's word with me. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see, and wonder and be utterly astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. Now, sometimes that verse is quoted out of context, but look at the context here. God says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nations who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. The justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. God answers, I am not passing over their sins. It says, I am doing a work. He was already working to judge his people, he was sending the Babylonians. The Lord said, I am doing a work. It is so important for us to remember that God is always working to bring true fairness. Regardless of what we see happening around us, God is always working. We may not see what God is doing or may not even understand what he's doing, but we know that God is working. He is actively working to bring about his justice. So Habakkuk, question God's fairness, but God cannot overlook sin. Christian, take heart. God knows and sees all. He's always working for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Now, if you're here and you're a non-believer, this would maybe cause you to pause. God sees and knows all you're doing. Even for Christians who may be living in the ways of the world, God sees and knows all. You may think that God is pleased with you because he's giving you some sort of success. Life is maybe going well for you in business or family. But but trust me, God will finally not overlook your sin. Paul wrote to the Romans chapter 2. He will render each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteous, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. The people in Habakkuk's day were living for their own passions and pleasures. They, they thought that God was pleased with them because of their success. And they were going to pay for their actions with the destruction from the Babylonians. God is fair for he will not pass over sin. He will deal with it. Habakkuk understands God's patience. As acceptance. Uh, sometimes you think that if you're not doing anything about it, that you're okay with it. Uh, I remember one time uh, someone said something in my presence that that I disagreed with, but I just was silent. I didn't say anything. I didn't jump at the at the response. Someone else saw me in that in that interchange, and they thought that because I didn't say anything, that I agreed with that opinion. Sometimes silence is just that, silence. And sometimes God is silent does not mean that he approves of what is happening. God answered Habakkuk, but he still questioned God's fairness. So he firstly questioned, was it fair to pass over sins? And God says, no, it's not. I won't do that. And the second question I want you to look at, is it God fair to punish sin? Is God fair to punish sin? Habakkuk wanted God to punish the sins of his people. He did not want justice to go forth perverted. He wanted God to deal with it but he did not believe that God had the right to punish the the people of God with the wicked nation of Babylon. See his response, his second complaint of the book. Chapter 2, sorry, chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are are, are pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. What will I answer concerning my complaint? First, he did not approve of, of God not punishing the wickedness of his own people, and now he's complaining about how God chooses to punish that wickedness. It's almost as if he's in complete disbelief. He, he, he hears what God says and he cries out, The Babylonians? You've got to be kidding me. You're going to send them? This wicked nation is who's worse than the people of God? Look at verse 13 again. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He cannot believe that a pure and holy God could use the evil of the Babylonians against his own people. I mean, does that surprise you? Can God both be pure and holy and still use wicked men to bring about his purposes? Habakkuk saw these two things at odds. How can God do this? Indeed, Habakkuk had a right view of God's character. He was pure and he was holy. He cannot do evil. And yet he did not understand how God displays his character. That's important. I think many of us understand God's character, but sometimes we may not understand how God displays that character in the world. The Lord heard Habakkuk's complaint, and he gave his answer. Hear God's word again. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so we may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits it, it's appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul was puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, and an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, their scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heats up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake will make you tremble? Then you will be, be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence of the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house and cutting off of my people's. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, It is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze on their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and the violence of the earth to cities, all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol? But this maker has shaped it. A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes his speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, and all the earth keeps silence before him. God is fair in his punishment of sin. Habakkuk was was not ready to hear God saying, I'm going to send the Babylonians. He was upset, and then God says, the Babylonians will have their due. Again and again, you heard, woe to this nation. Woe to this nation that breeds Violence, justice may seem slow, but it will surely come. And right there in the middle of the Lord's promise, He mentions the righteous shall live by faith. It's one of the greatest truths of the Bible. The righteous do not live by sight, but by by faith. Even in the song that we that we sing that we love here at Park, it is well that last stanza, when when the trump shall reside my my faith shall be shall be, be, be sight. But right now, we still live by faith. We live and make decisions on the reality of God's word, not by what we see around us. Habakkuk did not understand what God was doing in his sight. And beloved, we often cannot understand God's hand. But here, he's telling us to trust his heart. He wants his people to trust him, even when we don't see our immediate vindication. We can trust that it will surely come. Habakkuk 2.4 is referenced three times in the New Testament. Uh, in hebrews ten thirty eight uh, Romans 1.17 and eighteen and Galatians three eleven which Lindsay read, read for us. each reference has, has a slightly different application. but I want to read uh, Galatians again and how Paul shows that God is going to bring righteousness for those who are outside the law by faith. So Galatians chapter three verse ten, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law. Meaning that you can't earn your salvation because you're a sinner. Because every single person in the world has committed sin. And therefore we are not justified or made right by the law because we have broken it. But it says, The righteous shall live by faith. This is quoting Ababcook. But the law is not of faith. the offspring of Abraham came so that the promised Spirit of God would be able to, we would be able to receive by faith, not just for the, the Jews, but for the entire world. Even right there in verse 14 of Habakkuk 2, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. The glory of God will overtake the entire world. The promise will be fulfilled only in Christ. It is only through faith in Christ that the Spirit of God will make his presence manifest to the world. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. Every knee will bow on the earth. The question will be this. Will we bow willingly in faith or will we be forced to bow in fear? The whole earth will be filled with God's glory. Habakkuk, the second half of, of chapter 2, just shows the, 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 the wrath of God against the Babylonians. It's just a picture of, of the, the final judgment that God will bring upon all those who do not trust in Christ. God's people wait patiently for the day when he will come in glory. But the day of the Lord will come. Second Peter chapter 3 says this. It says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, with the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, when the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Beloved, every day the Lord waits, every day the Lord waits is him showing patience to the world, him showing patience to those who are are rejecting him right now, patience to the wayward, patient to the sinner. The Lord is patient. He desires repentance, but judgment will still come. The Bible says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and all the works of man will be exposed. God's wrath against sin and the sinner will be fully, fully realized in a literal hell for all eternity. Habakkuk bristled. He was upset at the judgment of the Babylonians against God's people. And I think as Habakkuk bristles against the judgment of God, I think we often bristle when we we hear of eternal, literal hell. But rightly understood, God's judgment does not minimize God's love, but it maximizes it. John Lynn aptly says, the issue is not how, a, how God can allow there to be a hell if he is a loving God. The issue is that if Jesus Christ could experience hell for me, then truly he must be a loving God. It is not why would, there, would God allow hell, but why would God experience hell for me? And yet, he did. We may not understand God's punishment. Habakkuk sure didn't, but the righteous will live by faith in God's word about God's Son, who who experienced hell on the cross to bring salvation for all who would repent and trust in Him. Our sin put us under a curse, but Christ came to be a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the law that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ died for us and was raised for us. And the resurrection shows that God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. Do you realize, my friends, how patient God is? He doesn't want anyone to perish. So He waits. He waits. He is long-suffering with you and your sin. He is slow to anger. But one day, His patience will end. God will either punish your sin in hell, or He will apply the hellish punishment of Christ for your sin. Consider the coming judgment, then consider Christ. Do not delay. Whatever you're dealing with today, do not delay. Turn to Christ. Which brings us to our last question. Is God's fairness praiseworthy? Is God's fairness praiseworthy? Habakkuk responds to the coming judgment of the Babylonians on God's people and the coming judgment of God against the Babylonians in a prayer of trust. Look we'll at verse chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And I love this. In wrath, remember mercy. God remembers God's work in prayer. One of the struggles for us in our lives is that when we start struggling with God's fairness, uh, we, we often um, talk about our circumstances rather than talking to ourselves. Right? Talking to ourselves through God's word, what God has already done. That's exactly what Habakkuk does here. He recounts God's powerful victory over, over the Egyptians. Looks back towards the Exodus as he waits for the for the judgment of the Babylonians. Look at verse... Uh, beginning in verse uh, 14. You pierced with his own, own arrows the heads of his warriors. You came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. God has been victorious and God will be victorious again. If you, if you notice how this how this prophecy works, it's much like the Psalms. It usually starts with a complaint, how long, O Lord? And it ends with an expression of trust. That's what we see with Habakkuk. He moves to this place at the end where he deeply trusts God regardless of the circumstances. Look at this verse I read earlier. Verse 17. This is one I would, I would commit to memory. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I memorized these verses when I was in college. No idea where, where Habakkuk was, but someone gave me a, a, a little uh, memory uh, system, and I, I memorized this verse, and man, this verse has come, come up in my life so often. When I feel that the Lord is not being fair to me, when I feel like fruitfulness is not happening in my own life, I can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The righteous live by faith. We do not have to understand God's judgment, but we have to trust Him. Is God's fairness praiseworthy? Absolutely, yes. For in God's fairness, is all to be displayed in Christ who was crucified on a tree, securing our redemption by becoming our curse. Beloved, we are going to experience suffering in this life, and yet we must endure. On medica- meditating on Habakkuk, I, I believe the, the author of Hebrews uh, kind of gives us an application from this verse. So in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, the words will be on the screen. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle from sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners to those with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when all you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for, and then quoting Babcock, for a little while the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Beloved, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You may never fully understand God's fairness, but I know that we will never deserve it. We deserve wrath, but he gives us mercy. We deserve death, and he gives us life. We deserve hell, and he gives us heaven. We deserve the curse, and he becomes the curse for us. Tis mercy all, immense and free. For God, oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a God full of mercy. God, we thank you for being a God who men and always display the fairness we want to see in this life. But God, we know that you do not pass over sin, but you are patient. And yet, God, you will one day come and punish sin. And God, we are so grateful that you punished Christ and our stead. That he became a curse for us, buying us back, uh, purchasing us through his blood. God, I pray that you would encourage the saints this morning to trust you, to continue to live for you and for you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing our